This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Pope and Young Podcast. I am joined by Mr. Jason Roundsville. Jason, how are you, man? Doing great. Happy to be here. And we've got one of our friends, Joe Griffin, on with us, coming to you live from a sketchy truck stop on his way to Kentucky to hunt. <laughs> How you doing, everybody? Doing great. That's I, I actually like that. You know, I had, this this is uh, somebody taking the time to stop on their way to go hunting just to talk to us. I, I appreciate that. That's a pretty good compliment, I think. Well, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it a ton. We're happy to have you. Where are you headed, Joe? Uh, we're going back down to where we were in October. Um, I came down here with the Huntwise crew and a, a few other folks. Um, Outdoor Alley was down here, Crispy, Jeff Sturgis, a uh, bunch of the crew from Huntwise, like I said. And then uh, the Swan Brothers, the, the two country guys from the, the Voice were down there. And uh, one of those brothers are actually back again on this trip. So this is kind of the follow-up trip for everyone that didn't fill their buck tag in October is going back down. And then I'm just going to fill a few doe tags, hopefully. Nice, man. You did it with the recurve or the compound? No, I've, <laughs> I'm have i low on recurve arrows now. I whiffed a bunch of them out in that goose field the other day, and um, <laughs> I'm going to try to film it. So it's uh, it's the compound on this trip. Now, Jason, i got to ask, and I saw the pictures, and I was I was uh, – I was intrigued. You're a big waterfowl guy. You ever tried it with a bow? You know, I actually took my bow up to Alberta a couple of years ago, and we just didn't have the kind of hunts that I felt I needed to try to shoot geese with a bow. It's a pretty specific situation that you need to make it happen. And I've done it before, and uh, 
had some luck with it, not with a recurve, but I've shot a few with a compound on like golf course atmospheres or stuff like that where you can't use a gun. But um, the shots that we had were challenging enough for a gun, let alone uh, a bow. We were, we're hunting a, a managed waterfall unit here in West Michigan. That's the only thing that's open right now. And uh, they were pretty high. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, where you launch in Tamaros, my friend. Oh yeah, there were there were some tall shots, but they they gotta leave the bow if they're gonna happen. So you know, I saw a video and it was it was old school. It was a, you know I don't know even know how old it was, but it was somebody might have been Ben Pearson out shooting ducks with a bow, and it was I mean he was getting them up there. It was pretty impressive. I've seen that video. He's down in the clay pools of Arkansas shooting them. Yeah. It's super old video, but it's really cool. Yeah, it is. It's it's awesome watching somebody get a shooting ducks out of the air with a bow. Pretty wild. Do you guys ever see that video? Do you guys ever see that video of that guy who had an arrow stuck in a pheasant and he was chasing after it and couldn't catch it, so he just chunked <laughs> his bow at the pheasant? I did, yeah. It's like a brand new Matthews and he just cartwheels that thing through the air at him. <laughs> did he get the pheasant? Hunting. Did he get it? He, he did. did. Okay. See, it worked, man. Utilizing every tool. <laughs> He knocked a mess out of that pheasant with his bow and ran up and tackled it and grabbed it. <laughs> Stood up, held it up for all his buddies to see. That's see. Back in college, I was famous for the turkey flop. You know, because you shoot a turkey and they kind of flop around, and I was always scared of, of them hopping up and running away. So, man, I'd I'd shoot one and then run up there and jump on it. So, we had a, a guy do that a couple of years ago, and uh, he ended up having to go get stitches because the thing spurred the heck out of his arm. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Dang. Dang. You know, that's not a story I want to tell the ER doctor. What happened? Well, I, I got my butt kicked by a turkey. <laughs> I had one that was a little bit more embarrassing than that. I was teaching my son, gosh, this is probably two or three years ago now, how to clean rabbits. And I didn't have uh, shears with me. So I was just taking my knife and basically just popping that leg bone to get the, the foot off of there when you're skinning it. And I'm doing this on top of a, a slippery cooler and I like spun my blade somehow and absolutely just cut the top of my my uh left index finger wide oh. open like down to the bone yeah and it was a brand new knife and uh i actually cut a piece of the knuckle off and it was laying there on the cooler i'm like oh crap now we gotta go to the hospital. <laughs> like literally have to go to the hospital now because this thing is gushing just and, that's duct tape yeah, had to get stitched up for a rabbit <laughs> yeah yeah i did that i was uh, cutting herring on the ocean last summer and just just cutting bait and and somebody talked in the boat and i looked up and just took like the tip of my finger off and i looked down i'm like well you know the fish are biting so put a band-aid on it wrap some duct tape on there and uh and kept going so sometimes that's what you gotta do that's yep jason's tougher than i am i know that i you know it's there's there's not a lot they could have done about it so and I like to fish too. So yeah. Well, Joe, man, uh, we invited you on. I, I I watch you and I watch your son, and how you get your son involved in the outdoors. And uh, I'm incredibly impressed by the way you've gotten your boy um, to not only be out there with you, but but to be enthralled with the entire process of bow hunting. And uh, and so before we dive in, man, give us a quick introduction to yourself. Um, you know, I know you work with several different companies and do several different things. So, uh, uh, what all do you do, man? And how'd you get there? Um, I guess I'm Joe Griffin. I'm 29. Um, I got a five-year-old son. He'll be six in March. Um, I'm from West Michigan, kind of between 
Grand Rapids and Holland right on the lakeshore, Lake Michigan. Um, I actually came from a non-hunting family and then I started hunting when I was 12 and just kind of got eaten up with it myself. Um, done some waterfall guiding in the past. Um, basically hunt anything and everything that I can from teal to black bear and elk and everything in between. Um, kind of took a little bit of a, a break of the serious waterfowling and guiding when uh, when Chase was born and kind of focused more on, on the big game stuff. And I'm starting to kind of teeter back into the waterfall stuff with him a little bit again now that he's getting a little older. But, um, yeah, I work for a company called Elite Outdoor Sports uh, based out of Wyoming. I'm the Great Lakes Territory Manager for um, nine different shooting and hunting brands. And then uh, do some some projects with HuntWise as well. But um, yeah, the last last few years, my main focus has been big game, primarily um, western hunts, and uh, obviously getting my son out there because he's absolutely eaten up with it. Now, did you grow up in a in just a non hunting family? Like they just chose not to hunt, or they had something against hunting? No. Um, well, it was kind of split. So my dad um initially just was kind of neutral to it um he he just never really was exposed to it grew up on the east side of the state his parents didn't hunt my grandparents and uh my mom um on the other end of the spectrum she was actually a very against hunting member of PETA donated to Greenpeace and it just wanted nothing to do with it so I actually had it I remember it was in third grade I had a um, persuasive writing assignment where I had to basically persuade someone of something. And I had friends in my class that all hunted. And I remember in our library, we had these stacks of magazines that would basically just get donated by parents or teachers or whatever. And there was an episode, or an episode, a magazine from either Outdoor Life or Field and Stream, one of those ones back in the day. And it was a, a publication on, on elk hunting. And for whatever reason, I was just drawn to that. And I'm like, I think I want to try this. So I wrote this letter to my mom and long story short, they're like, well, we'll let him try it. And he'll freeze his ass off or kill something and feel bad about it. And it'll be just another phase that blows by. And wasn't the case. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. It's, it always interests me to talk to folks that didn't come from a hunting background. I mean, you know, I was born into it. I, I was born in August and the very next month in September, I was at deer camp. There was just, I mean, I, I've never known anything other than the hunting culture and, and being around it. And, and in some cases almost consumed by it, but I always have an appreciation for folks that, that seek it out that didn't have that innate, you know, introduction to it. So. Yeah, it's a, it, it was definitely an interesting way of, of finding kind of my spot in there. And it's, it's felt like home ever since. And to be honest with you, I, I feel like I, I know a few other people that have kind of had that, that same path that I have. And it's, you, you have some mentors along the way, but if you, if you grow up kind of learning some of this stuff for yourself, I think it can make it pretty deadly pretty quick. Yeah. And what was it? Was it friends that hunted? What was it that drew you to it? So I remember I had a good friend in school, Chad Alberg, and I would always go over to his house and his family, the whole, the whole family hunted mom, brother, sister, dad, everybody hunted. 
and they had a <laughs> this old TV and a, a VHR player, and every single one of um, Tremos Truth About Deer Hunting, Truth About Turkey Hunting, Truth About Elk Hunting was like every single one there in a big tower, and they would always be watching that. And I was just so intrigued by watching it with them. I kind of got just kind of immersed into it. And then they fed me some venison for the first time. And I'm like, I want to do this. This is awesome. <laughs> so kind of, kind of a weird deal, but yeah, the watching the old Will Primos videos was kind of my, my introduction to it. And then uh, there was, I had a couple friends that, that hunted, but that family was really the one that, that sparked it for me. Yeah. So, so, so- at home, I just have to ask: Is what what did you eat in a non-hunting household? Uh, everything but wild game. So it was it's kind of hypocritical, and that was the 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 stance that I took in my letter. Is I said to my mom, I said like, she, "You're not vegan. You're not you're not uh, choosing not to eat meat. You still cook a steak all the time. Like it's, it's no different. And if anything, it's it's more ethical to take it this way. And even as a third grader, it's pretty easy to paint that picture for someone that right. has taken that stance anyway. So, so I got to ask, how does your mom feel about hunting now? It's funny. She's, uh, she came around pretty quick. Um, but she's, w- when I was really big into waterfall, um, I also got into contest calling a lot. So I, I did the whole circuit where I'd go into, um, Eastern Maryland for worlds. I went down to, um, that Illinois Iowa line for the North America, North American uh, goose calling championship there. We went down to Peoria. We went all over for goose calling and she kind of found a community of friends there that were parents carting their kids around to these goose calling contests and got kind of enamored with that community of it. She actually came out on a duck hunt with me a year or two after that and shot her first duck and she's completely supportive of it now and uh 100% an advocate for hunter. Wow, kudos mom. Yeah. Welcome to the team. We we're glad to have you. Pretty so, pretty wild transition. That's I I have to I have to tell a quick story about about calling contests and whatnot. This goes back a lot of years, actually probably before either of you two were around. And uh this is my first trip up to Canada. It was me and a couple of buddies and we didn't even know where we were going. We just loaded up a, a trailer with all everything we thought we could use on a trip. We're headed across the border. We didn't even know where we were going. This is pre-GPS. It was all, we had maps and we're like, okay, we'll go this way and this way. And uh, on the way up, I had this buddy of mine, Dusty, and uh, he hadn't hunted quite as much as, as me and my other buddy. And, and so on the way up, we're like, okay, let's hear what you got. And he whips out this, this goose call. And it sounded a lot more like a party horn than a goose. And I said, oh, no, that's not going in the blind. And he says, well, what do you mean? I said, you're not taking that call in the blind. And he says, well, I got to practice. I said, that's what summer's for. Right. And so I, I don't know. I don't know if, it, if this was the real reason or not, but I take full credit for it. And so anyway, this this guy, we didn't let him take his call out hunting the whole trip. And we come back. And that summer, he went out and bought a short read goose call and practiced that thing every single day. And the very next year, won the Oregon goose calling, the Washington goose calling, and the Washington two-man duck. And from there on, 
thank goodness he was he was a bigger man than I because the next year when we were going up and and he whipped out his call and he sounded like 30 geese and I I you know I was okay on a flute but he was blowing me out of the water at least he didn't say you know what you're not taking that in the blind <laughs> so it was just it's it's amazing what some of those guys can do with a call. You know, Especially my uh, guys in the West Coast, so there's some absolute killers that come out of Washington and Oregon. Yeah, because they're they're killing those teeny geese all the time too. So they're they have to learn how to call loud and aggressive and sound like multiple birds out there. Yeah, we uh, I, I grew up in Arkansas, you know, duck hunting, duck hunting country, and uh, and my best friend growing up um, when we were in high school, he won. Uh, the junior national duck calling competition, and so the prize was a a hunt with duck commander crew in New Zealand, or oh, in, wow. and so he, and they said you get to bring a friend. So he immediately called me. He's like, "Hey man, we're going to New Zealand hunt with duck commander," and this was before Duck Dynasty started. So it was really just only only real duck hunters knew who who Duck Commander was, and. Uh, and so this was a big deal in our high school because, like I said, we grew up in a predominantly duck hunting community. I mean, everybody duck hunted. And so they come on the loudspeaker and said, congratulations to Isaac Williams. Him and Dylan Ray uh, get to go hunt uh, ducks in New Zealand with the Duck Commander crew and so on and so forth. Well, something happened. I think they said there was flooding or something where they something something weird happened and they had to cancel the hunt. Oh, no. And so like, all right, we're going to send you two Remington 870s. I'm like, really? You're going to send us $250 shotguns and play $20,000 lifetime trip? I'm like, we got rip, ripped off on this one, man. But oh, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, how do you even compare the two? Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. At least they could yeah. have send you to a duck club or something right there in Arkansas. Yeah. No kidding. And Lord knows they got them. Yes. Yeah, I, I actually got in trouble back in the day because I, I said something you know, Arkansas is, or Stuttgart's the duck hunting capital of the world. And so I got quoted in a magazine article, I think it was in Wildfowl. And I was just talking about the West Coast. You know, we've got a 108-day season. It's seven seven birds a day. You know, you can shoot seven greenheads if you want. Mm-hmm. And so I was just, you know, kind of spouting off factual information about, you know, how proud I was of the West Coast duck hunting experience. And uh, my boss at the time says, hey, man, the president of our organization is from Stuttgart, is a huge duck hunter, and uh, you, you do realize you just slammed his whole state for that. And I was like, no, I was just talking about me. Right. So it's like, hey, you know, we, you know what we call three greenheads? Almost halfway there. You know, in, <laughs> in Arkansas, I think that's a limit, you know, on a lot of places. And so. Yeah, you're one shy of a limit with that. Don't yeah, we're, we're just getting started. So. <laughs> I've, so Joe, I've talked to a lot of guys that have traveled the entire country i've i've traveled a lot of it for waterfowl but i haven't been so much into the the west coast territory but everyone that i know that's serious about it that has been to most states they all say washington oregon's their favorite place to hunt or northern california yeah Hmm. so joe i'm anxious to know if the 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 lack of hunting culture in your household growing up um has influenced your strong pursuit of getting your son so involved um, you know, I never thought about that, I guess. Um, I'm going to say no, because I think I've said this in a video before too, whatever his interest is. And I, I got to credit both of my parents for this, whatever my interest was, even if they didn't agree with it, they were extremely supportive of it. So if, 
I get five years down the road and he decides, I, I don't think this is going to happen because he's clearly eaten up by it. But if he decides, Hey, I think football or baseball is my passion. I'm going to take a few years off of hunting. I'm going to support that. But the fire that I see in that kid's eyes for it and just the mannerisms that he has when, when he gets excited about it, it's so familiar to me that I, I don't think he'll ever leave it. But to to circle back to what you were talking about, to come from a non-hunting family, it doesn't really, I guess, push me one way or the other. I, it's just so natural for me to want to involve him in something that I love because um, at five years old, we don't really he doesn't really know what he loves yet. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to expose him to a lot of different things that, that I loved growing up, whether it's hiking, fishing, hunting, snowboarding, just being in the outdoors. That's my focus is just to make sure that he loves and he appreciates the outdoors. Well, you know, there's, and it, it goes back to exactly what you just said. There's a lot of dads uh, who get their kids involved in, in hunting, but I've just, I've not stumbled upon somebody who's done it as well as you yet. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of dads get their kids involved in just the harvest or just the recovery or, but you've got your son involved in the entire aspect of it from, from scouting to hanging stands and blinds and, and the shot and the recovery and the, and the cleaning. And, and I'm just so impressed. Well, thank you. I I think that's extremely important though for, and I hear this, if I had a dollar for every time I heard, well, I used to hunt a lot, but then I had kids or whatever. People use that as an excuse. And I get that there's challenging times of, of hunting with a kid. There's, there's no doubt about that. You need to change your mindset when you're going into this hunt that it's not about shooting a a limit of 50 geese today. It's about, we're going to scratch out a few, but we're going to have a hell of a time doing it. And it's, we're not targeting this one specific buck that we we put this crazy strategy together for to try to get him killed. We're going to hunt a pop-up blind on the corner of a bean field that I can get him into 55 yards from the road, because that's the only way I can get a five-year-old in quietly. It's, you just have to kind of take yourself out of the, not out of the equation, but take a step back and say, this is the reason why we're out here today is not because I'm trying to post a, a picture of a giant pile of geese with the boys. I'm going out here to expose him to this and have him along for every step of the way so he can appreciate the the work that goes into it, the the moment when it happens, and then the, the reward afterwards of of wild meat and potentially a trophy. I've not seen many five-year-olds willing to go out and sit in a 20-degree snow blizzard to film their dad shoot a deer. Um, and that just <laughs> it excites me, man. It excites me to see... Uh, to see kids who are fired up and excited about hunting. Uh, because, you know, here here at Pope and Young, it, we believe in preserving the passion for bow hunting. And if we're going to do that, then we have to create a new generation of bow hunters. Absolutely. And, uh, and so, man, I, I am I am incredibly excited to watch you and your son and, and to watch um, the steps you guys take. And uh, what, what's been some of the biggest struggles getting him involved? There hasn't been really any struggles with getting him involved. There, there were some times that, I would say, if anything, the struggles come from me personally. Um, one very in particular moment that was a huge growing time for, I think, both of us to th- this year was um, I shot a good buck in the UP, came back down to Kentucky, shot a good one down here. And then as soon as I got back, 
he and I went and put this blind on a hayfield and uh, I'm going to be frank with you. Like we'll shoot whatever. If he, if he wants to shoot it, I don't tell him no. If it's a two and a half year old, one and a half year old, I, I know that's not kosher with a lot of people, but for five year old, if, if it gets his heart going, I'm going to let him shoot it. If it's legal. Um, that wasn't the case this night. So we had 15 deer come out into this hayfield out of the, out of the bedding. And one of them was a 150, 160 inch, clean 10 point with a split G2. And I'm from West Michigan. Those deer do not come around very often. So I had just shot a buck in the UP one in Kentucky. I told him I'm no matter what you're shooting tonight, like I'm not touching my bow for any reason. This deer comes out into the field and starts pushing these does around. It's late October. The pre-rut's just starting to kind of kick in a little bit. And I thought there is no, we'd put this blind up 55 minutes before this all went down. There's not a chance this deer is going to come over here. He chases a doe to 70 yards and the doe runs back into the, the brush and he just starts kind of walking towards us. I'm like, no way. It's getting to like the last five minutes of light, I'll call it. And it, the deer comes in, long story short, to 33 yards. He gets his crossbow up on the sticks and he is just uncontrollably breathing just a rough situation it was his first time where he really got bad buck fever and he kept peeking back up out of the scope he'd find the deer come back into the scope and you know that kind of refraction if you're not looking through the scope perfectly you're going to have a corner of it that's black or you don't see clearly he couldn't find the deer in the scope because he was so wound up and i'm thinking to myself i'm like this is the biggest deer that i've ever seen on this property by far and he's at 33 yards right now, broadside, picking up the hay, and we're not going to get a shot at this thing. So I'm like, you need to find this deer, and you need to shoot him now. Like, I, I put pressure on him like I'm talking to a, a seasoned buddy, and he couldn't find him in the scope, and he was freaking out. And finally, he's like, Dad, you just, you just shoot this one. And I've never shot a deer with a crossbow, but I seriously contemplated it. I was like, all right, he can't figure it out for this one. I'm going to shoot this deer. So I scoot the crossbow over to me and grab the sticks. And uh, I'm like starting to get lined up on this deer and I hear this little kind of sniffle in the blind and I look over at him. He's starting to tear up. I'm like, I can't do this. So I give it back to him, like take a deep breath, find the deer. If, if you can get on him and you feel good about it, let me know. It's right at shooting time now. He finds the deer in the scope. He says, all right, feel good. Turn the safety off. He shoots right under it. And there was kind of a moment of silence afterwards. He started kind of getting a little bit down on himself again. And that's when it clicked with me that I just screwed up big time by putting this pressure on on this five-year-old boy who's never had a buck like that, anything close to that before in his life come that close. And I'm talking to him like I'm talking to one of my guys. It's, and we had a, a great conversation afterwards about it where I'm like, Hey dude, I, I shouldn't have put that pressure on you. That should have, if you weren't comfortable with the situation, that, that, that's where it should have stopped. Now we, we both had that talk. We were good. We went back there three days later and he shot his first buck and pinwheeled it. And it was a, a fantastic situation. Um, the the biggest, I guess, thing that I'm taking away from taking a five-year-old hunting is 
you need to remember that you're taking a five-year-old hunting. You're not, you're not hunting with your buddies. You need to put them in situations that they can have number one fun and not pressure them. And, um, I, I guess just be aware of, of what you're doing. It's, it's a, it's a big ask to take someone that young and expect them to perform. Yeah, that makes sense, man. And, uh, you know, sometimes we got to remember that, that, uh, I don't do well under pressure sometimes. So how can we expect a right. five year old to do it? And, and I've I get buck fever like the worst of anyone that I know. I I shake when I shoot does sometimes. Still, like it's it, I've I've had a few situations with him like that where it, he's so advanced for his age with a lot of things. Even just the way he, he talks to other guys about hunting, it's like a, a mini teenager that I've got that I forget sometimes. You need you need to remember he's five. <laughs> He's, he's very good at this, but he's he's still a five year old boy. So you got to take a a reality check every once in a while. You know what? It's funny because uh, watching you guys on social media and how you interact and how he talks about hunting and how he, you know, gets in front of the camera and does his interviews and stuff. And sometimes I forget. I'm like, that's a five year old dude. <laughs> in all reality, I mean, I've thought this to myself. I'm like, this kid's got a better grip on what hunting is. Than some of the men we watch today. I mean, so, some of the guys we watch on TV, some of the some of the guys that get paid to do this. This kid's got a better grip on on the meaning of hunting and what he's really out there to do than some of these guys in the outdoor industry. Yep, he he said something the other day when we were squirrel hunting, um, and it it blew my mind because I mentioned it to him one time last year, and it he everything just sticks with him. It's so amazing. Um, Last year, we had a squirrel that all we could see was the back half of it. And I said, wait till we can see the the head or the front half before you shoot. Because if you plaster a squirrel up through the rear end, then you're kind of wasting the meat. And uh, I put him up on his little shooting sticks with the 410, um, trying to get a shot at this big fox squirrel up in the tree. And without me even saying anything, and I was just going to let him shoot. I didn't even really look at how the, the squirrel was positioned. I'm like, all right, go for it. Whenever you're ready, he goes, all I can see is the back. I'm going to ruin the meat if I shoot right now. I'm like, holy cow, you remembered that. I couldn't believe it. I was so taken back by that. Uh, it has to make you second guess everything that comes out of your mouth for a it while. It really does. Yeah, yeah. It seriously does. It's like every, they notice everything. They, they're influenced by everything. They imitate everything. They are just a sponge right now. And that's honestly what's so important to me about not only getting him into hunting, but just exposing him to what's important about the outdoors and, and protecting this great resource that we have. And I don't think even we as adults realize how unique this resource is and this opportunity that we have as Americans is that there's very few countries that have the public land that we have very, very few. So for him to appreciate these things at a very young age is important to me. So that as he grows up, he doesn't take what we have for granted. Yeah. Now here's a question that I have, Joe, coming from a, a non-hunting background, how, how did you get introduced to archery? So archery was how I started actually, because both my parents were pretty nervous about firearms initially. And in Michigan, the the laws have changed now, obviously, because I'm taking a five-year-old hunting, but we couldn't bow hunt for deer until we were 12, and then we couldn't gun hunt until we were 14. That, that was the way it was when I was growing up anyway. So 
my first two years of deer hunting were with archery equipment. And I had a, that the same family that kind of introduced me to it gave me a, a really old compound, basically just fiberglass limbs and training wheels kind of thing. And uh, that's what first, I guess, got me into archery was I was forced to, to bow hunt for the first two years. Now, since then, um, hunting with archery equipment is honestly what I, what I prefer to anything. Um, I, I, do, I do rifle hunt as well, but the, I bet 75% of the big game animals that I've killed have been with a bow. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and we don't discriminate. Uh, obviously we lean towards bow hunting, but, uh, I, I can't tell you, I don't rifle hunt cause I kind of like it all, but shotgun, rifle, bow, um, there's a place for it all. Yeah. But I, I can tell you that all the, the, the growth that I've had as a hunter, if, if guys are choosing just to go out during rifle season, they're in Michigan, they're missing a, a month and a half on the front and a month and a half on the back of time. They could be in the woods and it, just, just the, the woodsmanship and the field craft that you learn being a bow hunter is so different than someone going out to a shooting shack on November 15 and trying to hope that a, a deer gets pushed across them throughout the morning. The, the things that you pick up on as a bow hunter, the things that you see and experience through those, uh, the months prior to gun season are invaluable. And the experiences, I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been out there and, and I've had a situation bow hunting where, gosh, with the rifle, it's a done deal. You know, I've got a 250 head of elk at 90 yards and with the rifle, game over. Choose whichever bull you want. And with the bow, there's no play. You're at 90 yards and, you know, that's the closest you're going to get and you're just out of the game. Right. And uh, so it's those experiences that happen and, and a lot of them are frustrating at the time, but you look back on them and, and had it been different, you wouldn't have had the whole experience. And that's kind of what I've even amplified one past that starting to hunt with this recurve. Now I started hunting with that three years ago and it, it amazed me of with, with bow hunting. It's like once they get to 40, 50 yards, that's when the game kind of starts. But with, with a recurve for me, anyway, I'm, I'm not proficient with it past 24, 25 yards. And even, even the amount of deer that I see after the fact of them, like if, if I have a deer come in at 30 yards in my compound, I'm shooting it. I, I would have never known the, the other deer that were coming in behind it. Cause the deal is already done. I see so much more yeah. um, game hunting with it with a recurve now just because it, it takes more time for it to happen. And the situation just has to be perfect. Yeah, man, 20, 24 and in that's, that's close. That's as far as I dare shoot with it, to be honest, at a deer wow. anyway. And yeah. I've, I've whiffed a few shots this year, unfortunately that are the, the last one that I missed was at 16 and I still found a way to shoot over its back. You know, that, uh, that happens to to the very best of us. They call it a struggle stick for a reason, I guess. Yeah. It's, I don't know too many people that have never missed an animal with a bow. Right. You hunt long enough, you, you're going to miss something. So but most of us, the, the guys that, uh, I got two guys down here in camp that, uh, have never killed a deer before and they're being spoiled right now because they're hunting a, an incredible outfitter, but it's still, it's still hunting and there's still a lot that can go wrong. So 
they see all these pictures getting posted up of what comes out of this outfit and they're like, Oh, I'm going to get one for sure. I'm like, yeah, we'll see. Still hunting, yeah. buddy. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the one difference though. I think everybody may, everybody misses them. Most people just don't admit it or at least at 16 yards. Oh yeah. So, and it's, and it's funny cause I've got some friends that uh, a couple years ago, we had this new guy at, at an elk camp I hunt and I think he was busy trying to mess with the camera and wasn't concentrating on the elk. And he, sh- he missed a seven by seven beautiful bull mm. out of a ground blind at, I think it was 16 or 17 yards. And it's, mm. you know, I mean, this is a big animal and he shot literally right over its back, probably took some hair off of the top. And you're just like, how do you do it? I mean, and then, you know, the same guys that were criticizing him not too long. It's like, well, how did you miss that shot? It's like, yeah, El- elk are a, a whole different scenario for me. There's something very paralyzing about them to me where I, I, I get terrible tunnel vision elk hunting, or if I, I see elk at a distance, I, I'll just, even if I know in my head, there's no way I can make it there by darks. For some reason I still go. But when yeah. I get in, when I get into that, that red zone with them, it's just, it's a whole different type of, fever that consumes my body that a whitetail's never done to me. Yeah. There's something about elk that just really tripped my trigger. Yeah, they're a majestic animal, that's for sure. They really are. It's um it's interesting because even when I communicate, you know, you talk to some of your buddies that that are there and you mentioned tunnel vision. And I think I get that to a point because I, I get into a situation where okay, this is a taker elk and uh, it's probably what what separates the true trophy hunters from the rest of the guys like me is, you know, when I get in a situation, I say, okay, there's, that's a branch bull. That's, that's the bull I'm looking for. I laser focus on exactly where I'm going to put that arrow versus I've got some buddies that, you know, they'll, they'll say, Oh yeah, he had, you know, six on the left and he had, well, it was six with a little kicker on the right. And I mean, they, they study every little thing and then they, they don't happen to get the animal down. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I, so you mentioned that tunnel vision. I think I have some of that. Well, I think in a, in some cases it's really good. Um, but in other cases it's, uh, I'm not sure that's always the case. Yeah, it can, it can definitely go both ways. And I've, I've put myself in some, especially out West, some, uh, subjective situations, I guess, because of it, where, I <laughs> I just get so laser focused on something like two it was a I guess two seasons ago now I shot a bull in Montana and I was so amped up after I shot him I shot him at like 8:30 in the morning I had a six and a half mile pack out and I barely drank any water I didn't eat any food just because I was floating on this cloud nine they're like I need to get this thing back to the truck I need to get this thing out of here before predators get to it or whatever I had this terrible tunnel vision and I got within like three, 400 yards of the truck. And I just leaned forward onto my trekking poles to catch my breath. And I woke up and I had snow building up on my face because I just passed out for a second because I had no food in me whatsoever. Uh, so that's an example, I guess, of tunnel vision that can be very, very bad. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's I know this year I struggled with, with that because I had an, had an elk come in. I told myself, okay, I'm, I only had a few days to hunt. And I said, all right, um, I'm only shooting a branch bull and I had a spike at 30 yards and, uh, you know, I, I grew up from the, the freezer filling days of, you know, eating venison all year long and elk mm-hmm. meat 
And so I'm like, I'm looking at this. I'm like, oh man, that's a nice tall spike. That maybe that's the one I want. And I'm like, no, I said I'd only shoot a branch bull. And uh, <laughs> and so I had a five point come in, and I wound up, you know, getting him. And and literally, as soon as I put an arrow through this guy, the the big six walks out behind him, and I had no idea he was there. Oh. And and it's like I look at that, and and he I had him dead to rights at forty yards. He's just looking around at forty yards. I'm like, oh, this is. And he's, you know, 10 feet from the elk. I just put an arrow in. Right. And, uh, and so all year this year, I've kind of bounced back and forth between, because a lot of years that the five point I shot, I would have been absolutely over the moon thrilled with mm-hmm. and this year, you know, now that I'm with Pope and Young, it's kind of like, oh man, that, that six point would have been really good for me. Right. And, and then especially at, you know, after I was done, then I, I'm hearing the stories of some of the other people at at camp who are getting opportunities at these nice big bowls, you know, mm-hmm. and mid 300 bowls. And I'm just like, Oh, I should have waited, but I'll tell you what, I had, I had tacos last night and they were delicious. That's right. Yeah. So there, there's a, that I, I shoot a lot of wild game throughout the year. So it's not like I'm going to go hungry if I don't have it. I don't, I don't buy any meat. It's all been wild game my entire adult life, but there's something different about elk meat for me. They're just not taste and cooking quality aside. Eating elk to me is just for whatever reason, a slightly different or spiritual grab to me than it is anything else. So with, I, I wanted to shoot a, I, I shot a, a decent five by five last year. And this year I was like, I really want to shoot a respectable bowl with my bow. And I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit that I, I missed a good six by five probably sub 300, but on a, a general tag is a, a nice bull. And right after I missed him, I had this weird clubby one by two or one by three come through and I pinwheeled him without hesitation, just cause I, <laughs> I wanted to have elk meat so bad. Oh yeah. And it, for, for me, filling that elk tag every year is so important to me. Yeah. And it's, you know, and some of our, some of our guys, I mean, they just, they have the power, they just have the wherewithal to pass a 350 bull to get a 380 or a 390. And I'm just like, man, uh, it's uh, mentally, I don't think I've, uh, I've reached that area yet, but you talk to some of these guys and, you know, they all say, Hey, you, the, the two thing, number one, you have to be willing to pass up a big buck to get a giant buck or, or mm-hmm. elk or anything. And then number two, you can't be afraid to, to eat your tag. Yep. And, you know, I remember growing up, I'm from a small town in Oregon, and most of my buddies hunted. And a lot of, a lot of, you know, people at school, I mean, you'd come back from opening weekend of, of deer season, and you're either a yep or a nope. And, and it, it just, <laughs> you get your buck. Yep. Yep. I got mine. And uh, so I think some of that still carries over, but man, I'd, I'd sure respect some of the folks that that have the wherewithal to pass the, the ones that I may not necessarily be able to pass. Right. I do too. And it seems like a lot of those guys that, that are shooting those big bulls are able to consistently shoot these, those big bulls. Now there's some, some guys just, just have it in them. Um, yeah. I, I have a, a friend, Jeremy. Um, he's one of those dudes that just finds a way to get it done. He shot two elk this year, both respectable bulls. One of them was really nice, actually. Both on public land, DIY, not being in the area before, just going in, figuring out, and getting it done. 
And it's, it's a mental space that you have to get and you're just, I'm not going to leave this mountain unless I absolutely know I've given it everything that I have or I come out of here with a bull. Yeah. The only two options. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the last time I went on one of those hunts was, uh, I had tagged out early in Oregon and so I called a buddy of mine and, and I said, Hey man, what do you think about running over to Idaho and trying for elk for a few days? And he said, Hey, when, when the executive director of Pope and young asks you if you want to go bow hunting, you say, yes. He says, all right, let's go. That's right. <laughs> and, uh, so anyway, we, I, I talked to a couple of guys that I'd respected and trusted and they said, okay, you know, here's an area you might want to try. So we load up the truck and, and grab the travel trailer and we just headed, you know, I don't know, 10 hours East to Idaho, get there and, and we get our licenses and all our tags and everything. And, and we zoom up, we, we, Park the trailer. I mean, it's pitch black by the time we get there. Thank goodness there was a turnaround at the end of this little road. I had him pull down because um, we didn't know how we were going to get that trailer back out of where we had accidentally gotten into. Right. And so anyway, we we set everything up, and then next day we're we're getting up. We're going to go out and and scout. And I had these maps printed off, and I had all these notes on these maps. And as we're driving to this area that we were going to go hunt elk for, I think, five days. There are ATVs and side-by-side. It looks like a Walmart parking lot. There Mm -hmm. are people absolutely everywhere. And I'm like, this is, you know, we're, I don't know, 30, 40 miles from the nearest town. I'm like, what is going on here? And it turns out there was a a 50-mile or 50K adventure race that went literally (laughs) literally through the entire like if you were to take my map they went exactly through the heart of where we were going to spend the next several days and so it was that that was my last let's just go somewhere we've never been and try elk honey <laughs> that's some it, of the best adventures that come from that though i understand that that's a rough experience but honestly the best trips that i have ever had have been on a whim um whether it was successful or not just exploring that new country yeah. Another thing that I found too is that even if you come up to a trailhead that's full of vehicles, a lot of times there's still good hunting there because they're they're getting a mile and a half, two miles, three miles off the trail, and that's as far as they they dare go. If you're if you're willing to go past those guys, that's there's there's good hunting to be had. Yeah. Where whereabouts are you from in Oregon? Are you in Rosie Country? Or you got Rockies out there? I'm I'm right in the middle. I'm I'm in Salem. So okay. if I go, you know, if I go everything west of me is is rosy territory and everything east is rockies same thing i got blacktails right around here and then mule deer an hour east i'm jealous so he's living the life man living the life you know what what age can can your your kids hunt out there so i i was looking into this i i wanted to take chase on a antelope hunt uh in august this year just sitting over a water hole with his crossbow yeah. And I was shocked at how many states there are. And it made me, Michigan does very few things right, in my opinion, as far as our Department of Natural Resources is concerned. But the one thing that we did change for the better is allowing kids to hunt at the age, um, at their parents' discretion, pretty much. Whenever they feel that their kids are old enough to hunt, they can hunt. Wyoming, you got to be 12. I, all over I looked, and it was either 10 or 12 years old for the most part. New Mexico is really the only place that I could find to take them on an antelope hunt. And by that point, it was 
I couldn't get him a tag. It'd have to be a landowner tag or something like that. Yeah, here I believe it's ten. Um, okay. It, it used to be twelve when I started hunting. It was twelve, and um, but I think now you can do it at ten years old under the mentor program. Okay. So gotcha. you, you, know, you could come out and have a tag, and then they could hunt off of your tag as long as you complete the stuff. I have a, sure. I have a couple pieces that have done that, and it's uh, that's a point of contention because because. My niece Haley, um, she actually just ate her first tag ever. She's 16 and she has killed nice blacktail bucks every single year. Good for her. And That's this cool. year, you know, the, the last day of the season, kind of the last waning hours, there was a three point. She's like, nah, if it's not a four point, I just don't want to take it. And I'm like, wow. You know, That's. <laughs> That's pretty impressive because Uncle Jason would have smacked that three point. <laughs> you and me both. But uh, yeah, she's, uh, um, it's funny. We we started a thing years ago, and it was before the the two girls because because I've got my my niece Haley, who's sixteen, who's uh, who's killed a deer and I think an elk every year since she started at ten, and then my other niece Aaliyah, and she she got her deer and her elk this year, her first year being out there. And so it's, uh, we started something years ago and it was on Christmas. The very last present is, uh, I I bought this custom knife on an auction years ago. And so on our family, we actually have it to where whoever kills the biggest buck in our families, like me and my, my brother and, and my dad. And then now that his two girls, they get, they get the knife. Whoever gets a big buck, they get the knife for a year. Cool. And uh, I started this years ago and you know, my, my dad had it for a year. And then I think my brother had it for a year or two. And then my niece Haley has had it since she turned 10. <laughs> and then this year she actually got it, you know, it went to Aaliyah. So her, her first year out and she got the knife for, for her buck this year. So That's it's, so cool. uh, sounds like I need it, to help it, your nieces. Yeah, no kidding. I, it's it's like I, you know, when I started this thing, I didn't realize I was giving up my knife forever. I was like, <laughs> I, I really thought that I was going to get this thing back, and and you know, this year I I had a nice five point blacktail on camera, and and man, I was going for it right up until Christmas. I think two days before Christmas, I was in the blind for a few hours, and man, I could not get. I never saw that guy in the daylight. So, um, but it's kind of fun because you you see, you know, with, with getting the kids involved and, and I've just seen there where you just never know which way they're going to go. Oh, are they going to like it? Or are they going to not like it? And, uh, and it's just so neat to see them grow up with that and, and their respect and appreciation for it. And that, that tradition that you just explained is part of the reason why I, I love this, this hunting, hunting community so much is it's, the the amount of relationships that I've gotten from hunting, I mean, take take all hunting aside, the experiences of physically hunting, the the antlers, the meat, take all that aside. The best people in my life, the people that I respect the most, the people that I love like freaking family, almost exclusively came from hunting, and just I can't imagine it not being in my life. Yeah, just just from a perspective purely of of the people that I've met. I, uh, George Cummins, the guy that owns this camp that I'm on my way to right now, I've met him one time and I feel like I've known him my whole life. Yeah. Just 
the, the experiences I've shared in the week that I've, I've met him, these guys that I'm working with at Huntwise, I, I got involved with them to do a few projects. Now they're, they're some of my closest friends and shoot Matt's like family now. Yeah. It's just, I, I can't fathom not having that in my life. And with Chase growing up, coming into this deer camp that I've brought him to in the UP, that's been in my family for 16 years now, now for him to kind of take that torch, I, and I'm kind of circling back to the, the hunting age thing. I, I want to find a way to kind of lobby with these other states and say, we're missing a huge opportunity by not allowing these kids to start earlier than where, where you're at right now with it. And I get there's some, some discretion and there's some risk involved with taking younger people out. That's got to be a right situation. And if maybe there's a, a vetting process for that, but I feel like there's a very influential age from five, six, seven, eight, nine years old that if we don't get them out there in some fashion, I think you're missing the boat. Even if it's just, Hey, if I draw an elk tag or not elk tag, if I draw an antelope tag in Wyoming myself, if I'm able to, uh, pass that on to my son while I'm present is would that be an option yeah and I think the mentor programs are are gaining a lot of traction I know you know as being in the outdoor industry there is a huge effort being put into you know like the r3 and and how to recruit and and get new new hunters and new fisher fisher people and and so there's a lot of effort being put forth on that you know, I think with the big push to get more youth involved, I think you're going to see a lot more programs, um, you know, states trying different things to get people involved, you know, potentially either even at a younger age like that. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, we're seeing some success with that in Michigan already. There was um, this year alone, and that, that could be credited to maybe with just uh, – COVID, people having a little bit more time to experience the outdoors, but there was 95,000 more tags sold in Michigan this year than, than any year prior. And it's a, it's an uptick of 18%. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's working. That's good. Well, you know, it's, if there's an upside of the whole COVID thing, that would be one of them. A lot more people are, are looking and leaning towards the outdoors for recreation. And, you know, as, as a hunter and a fisherman, you know, it's, it's not a lot of fun when you get to your secret spot and there's two other people there, but for the good of the whole, we do need more people uh, enjoying the outdoors. Absolutely. Selfishly, I'd like to see no vehicles at the trailhead that I park at, but your, your trailhead might not be there if there's no other people other than you sharing your interest. Yeah, that's a fact. And it's, um, yeah, I think we've all seen every hunter I know has, has, uh, you know, examples of where they've lost places to hunt and, mm. and even long time, you know, um, lately I was talking to a buddy of mine in Virginia that works for the NRA and, and he said a place they, you know, two different places this year that they've been hunting for years, like decades. And then both of them just sold, they have new owners and now those farms are off limits to them. So somewhere they've been hunting for, you know, 20, 30 years and now it's, it's gone. So it's every day it's getting harder and harder. So, Mm-hmm. we all need to, you know, when we're out there, remember to make a good impression, you know, treat it like it's the gold that it is, whether right. on pri- private or public property. And, and, you know, I, I know I get tired of finding the trash out there. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We need to 
I think for a long time, and I don't know exactly who, who you could point the blame at with all this, but hunters didn't exactly portray themselves in the best light either. And not, no. not only in, in, in the ways of image, but just if, if someone is, if someone approaches you with an interest in hunting, you don't necessarily have to give them a honey hole, but for, for the love of God, help them get into it, go out with them somewhere, show them how to do it. Um, don't, ever leave an opportunity on the table to take somebody out if you have if you have the chance to do it yeah for sure well joe here's a question that we ask every guest that we have on so when you're enjoying the outdoors what is one item that you take along with you that you put in your pack that you kind of a non-traditional item that you just can't live without when you're out in the woods i've got um a couple. So inside of my, my frame pack, there's a, a little zipper pouch that some kind of nuancey items go into. And um, one of them is my tags, obviously. But I also have um, the ivories from the elk that I first shot. That always is in that pack. But most importantly, I have a little sketch. It was my profile picture for a while of a stick figure me and a stick figure chase and we're both holding our bows and I cut that I get choked up even just talking about it I cut that little picture out and I laminated it and that little sketch on printer paper goes with me on every single hunt either in that pack frame or like right now where I'm not carrying a pack whitetail hunting it is tucked into my bino harness outstanding never leave it out that's awesome good for you well, Joe, we sure appreciate you being with us today. We've had a great time talking to you, and I know that the time always flies when we, when we get somebody on the show, but thank you very much for taking some time and spending it with us here at Both and Young today. Thank you so much for having me. It means a ton. It was great talking to both of you. Yeah. Well, good luck on your upcoming hunt. You'll have to shoot us a message. Let, let us know how that one goes for you. We'll do for sure. All right. Thank, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you.